from quarantine, it's just been this really like manic and sort of wild uh, way where, where I feel like as a filmmaker, but as a human being and, and just even as like a, I guess a citizen of the world or, you know, a citizen of the United States, more importantly right now is, is that, you know, it's, it's, it's just been a lot of time for like self-reflection of like how you live your life you know, in quarantine, in isolation, but then also who you are, not just as an individual, but who you are as, as, as a citizen of your country and as a people. Hello, everyone, and uh, welcome to a special bonus episode of Directors Club. So uh, I'm here today to celebrate the work of a particular filmmaker by the name of Amy Simons who I had the pleasure of talking with uh, briefly on two occasions. Obviously, everyone knows my love of upstream color runs pretty deep, but let's look beyond that film. Uh, I mean, I can acknowledge her remarkable performance, of course, and she's been a consistently great acting presence, but over time, she's really evolved into a truly great writer-director that I want to celebrate, and... uh, you know, certainly this is more than just uh, an interview that, uh, you know, is, is, is meant to promote a particular new film. It's really to acknowledge the fact that, you know, she is has evolved into something really, really remarkable and special and uh, an artist that I cannot wait to see more work from. Uh, for this episode... You're going to get two conversations for the price of one. My first is the most recent one in which uh, I talked to Amy about her sophomore feature, She Dies Tomorrow. And the second is from last year in which we mainly talked about horror and Stephen King while she was promoting the Pet Cemetery remake. And uh, if you've heard that interview already, you can duck out halfway through, but... Um, Really, I just want everybody listening to go out and buy or stream She Dies Tomorrow, which opens August 7th on VOD. And um, I don't know if everyone is on the same page as me, but I I had a very strong reaction to it. Um, And I think it's the best film of the year so far. Because it kind of combines the work of Josephine Decker, Buñuel with a little bit of It Follows, into something really original uh, that, I, for me, it summed up the experience of having anxiety, but also, in the end, it's like about kind of coming to terms with that, with having a complicated mind. Uh, and, and the film also plays very strangely today, since we're all feeling a lot of conflicting emotions, and we share them with others, whether through social media or through in-person conversation or over the phone. And what does that mean? You know, I mean, I always, I always felt a little concerned about, well, if I keep sharing the fact that I'm anxious or depressed or sad or concerned or something, does that in turn cause the other person, especially if they're very empathic, to sort of take on... Uh, the similar feelings that I'm feeling, and I don't want them to do that. (laughs) I don't want them to feel how I feel sometimes because it's scary. And I think that's what this film is about. Um, There's just really impeccable sound design, 
with this really intensely operatic score by the Mondo Boys. And the film really ends up evoking like this subjective isolation uh, while exploring mortality. And people tweeted early on, you know, uh, you know, during the during the pandemic, I remember seeing, you know, a lot of talk about, you know, people wondering whether they were feeling the symptoms of infection or if it was just anxiety, like if that chest tightness was, you know, a symptom or it was just the effect of allergies or the news. And, you know, right now I do feel like there is a sort of mental virus that's accompanying the actual physical pandemic uh, that we're experiencing. And I think this film kind of taps into that, and it doesn't offer easy answers, which I think can be frustrating for some viewers. Um, it doesn't explain why we feel what we feel or what the characters feel or, you know, um, it, it offers no explanation. But I think it I think it, it feels real to those who are familiar with emotional inconsistency. And it takes a really darkly humorous look at that idea of um, a mental virus, which, you know, might for me it caused a little a little anxiety, but I also laughed along the way. <laughs> and I think it might help a lot of people feel less alone and more connected to their fear. So She Dies Tomorrow, it really, really spoke to me. I I've seen reviews that are all over the place, mostly positive, thankfully, because I do think it's a great film, but I understand when people don't connect to it, too. So uh, it's just a really, really well-acted, well-directed 90-minute thriller about a really unique type of contagion, and um, it becomes a contemplation on the proliferation of dread and what it means to carry that around, which is something I think we can all relate to right now um the ensemble here is wonderful and it'll only make you excited for whatever amy does in the future and if you end up loving she dies tomorrow please check out her debut film also starring caitlin shield who is great um called sun don't shine and that's another film that confronts death but in more of a badlands-esque kind of approach but uh both of her films are remarkable I can't say enough good things about her, and uh, I wish I could have talked to her for more than 15 minutes. I know there are, there are other podcasts out there that have uh, have done just that, so please check those out as well. So please enjoy these two interviews back-to-back here um, on Directors Club with a really great director, one of my favorite creative artists working today, the one and only Amy Simons. It's so great to talk with you again. Congratulations on uh, Thank you. making what I think is the best film of 2020 so far. Wow. Okay. Thank you. We spoke. Uh, <laughs> we spoke last year promoting uh, Pet Cemetery, and you mentioned you had a project in the works, and I'm I'm so glad it's here. Uh, 
like like a year later under some of the most unexpected circumstances imaginable. Uh, man, so much can happen in a year. Uh, <laughs> but much like um, much like Sun Don't Shine, this film comes across to me as being very personal, and not just because you named the lead character Amy. Can you tell me a little bit about what it's inspired you initially to sit down and craft this story in the beginning? Yeah, I mean, there's, I mean, there's a million different things that went into it, but um, because uh, like like life, there's a million different things that lead you to a certain point, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I was dealing with a lot of anxiety and uh, like exist- existential anxiety and fear and stuff like that. And uh, but in addition to that, I was writing for television, and it takes a lot of, a long time to develop things for television, sure. And and movies too. I was writing for other films, and me being me being somebody that doesn't like to wait for things, which can be a very I'm very impatient uh, for things to happen, which can be. Uh, great when you're a DIY filmmaker in life it's a terrible thing <laughs> um but um I like to be, I'm, I'm polite when I'm impatient but but uh, uh I just I needed to shoot something I needed I needed to express something I needed to the same way that like the sun don't shine felt like I needed to do it mm-hmm. this this felt like another turning point where it's like I need to do this I need like a uh you know I have to get this out. And, and, and I mean, when I say need, I mean uh, my creative needs. Sure. Um, not an actual need need. <laughs> um, I have to be careful about that because there's very intense things happening right now. It is not a need to make a movie. But, you know, like just like just in in terms of me as a creative like artist and, and, and uh, expressing myself, this was it felt like I needed to do this. So I called Jake, I tell my cinematographer and Caitlin Scheel and I was like, we have to make something now and <laughs> uh, sort of started the process from there. That's great. I mean, it's great that you can just call people and be like, can, I, can we do something right away? <laughs> I'm feeling a lot of feelings right now, so I need to get them all out. Um, but I'm also curious if there were like other inspirations that spoke to you while making the film. I mean, to me, when I was watching it, there was a little touch of, David Lynch with with those lights kind of forming in certain scenes and there's that great classical piece that plays a lot in the first act were there other films or mediums uh, things that were helping you I guess serve as a guide or something that spoke to you uh, during the filmmaking process or even in the beginning not really I mean I mean I mean yes and no like like with <laughs> Jay Kaitel and I talk about this all the time uh the cinematographer that we talk about this is like in making it you know there was no because because i was trying to do something that was incredibly uh, or going back to sort of a, a incredibly instinctual uh filmmaking and because and because i i've worked on so many movies and i've seen so many movies that like sorry i burped <laughs> um i can edit I, because i've <laughs> yeah, it's 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 Lacroix, like it's it's Lacroix, Lacroix, whatever. Um, and, and, and because I've seen so many movies, like of course in the back of my brain, I have this like sort of catalog of like images and sounds and experiences and emotions and all these things. And Jay is as well, and we're bringing all these things that like every time like we're, we're like shooting something, I'm doing it. Um, you know, I'm doing it instinctually 
but instinctually means I'm calling on all this this catalog of things, right? Mm. Of not just the movies I've been in, but the movies I've seen and like loved throughout the years. And so like on the spot, like when I staged something or I'd, I'd have the actors do something, I'd be like, I'd suddenly realize like, oh, this is Louis Bunuel. Yeah, like, yeah, I totally saw you know that what too. I mean? like, yeah. yeah, like, oh crap, this is Bergman. Oh crap, you know, like, you know, or oh crap. This but, you, is- but you never set out to make those direct references. They just sort of happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that there's a lot of filmmakers that realize, you know, that like when, when we talk about this, it's like sometimes you just like unintentionally rip off the people you love, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's a compliment. It's like you're not intending of course, to. Yeah. But yeah, you just sort of, sort of subconsciously collect all these things, um, whether you're viewing or you're working on stuff. And then, and then you, you're like, oh, whoops. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I, it's interesting, though, because watching it, you know, now, I mean, I think this is what a lot of people are talking about. It's just it just feels so prescient. But at the same time, I'm watching it. I've struggled with anxiety. And to me, the film sort of encapsulates what happens during a panic attack, because you have all of a sudden the, the fear of dying is in the forefront. It's normally kind of in the background of your mind. But then when the panic attack happens, it's all it's all flooding in right in the forefront of your mind. And you're thinking, OK, I'm going to die. And it's the most frightening feeling you can feel. And I'm wondering if making this film for you, did you feel like kind of a catharsis putting all these feelings and your vulnerability on screen? Like what was the I guess the overall therapeutic experience for you making a film like this? Well, Unfortunately, uh, I, I didn't, you know, in making the film, I didn't make myself immortal. So um, <laughs> I still have to live with existential True. dread. Of course, we uh, all do. <laughs> yeah, I really tried, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, we got all the unions to sign off. It still didn't work. Um, but, no, <laughs> but I... Uh, yeah, there is a catharsis, and I, I can only say that, like you know, with any with anything where you're able to share or sort of feel like you're getting close to expressing how it feels, mm-hmm. you know, and like in 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 these incredibly, you know, making a film is 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 it you have to communicate so much to people. So even if I wasn't like this is how I feel all the time, which I, I'm a very professional person, so I'm not like telling everyone like I feel this way, make it, you know. <laughs> um, <laughs> but you know, you know, and, and so so like in communicating in very tangible ways mm-hmm. to like my cinematographer or to my actors or to the production designer of like this is the way I want things to look, like and then communicating back like what about this you're you're sort of intangibly making these feelings like concrete like you're making them facts right yeah. and how incredibly like gratifying is that right to 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 like feel something that's born out of your anxiety because like you, you know like you feel so crazy when it's happening and like and then and then but but also narratively speaking uh yes it, it absolutely follows a panic like follows the the arc of like panic attacks right yeah and and sort of the and i'm sure as you've said like you that you've experienced them that like you've probably gotten advice which is like 
you have to just like allow them to happen. If you fight it, it will get worse. Yeah. And so the the level of acceptance is obviously the sort of the conclusion of the movie, but it's also deals with the the fact of like whether you like it or not, you're gonna die. So like you might as well accept it. (laughs) Yeah, and the next day I often laugh a little bit going, I can't believe I thought I was gonna die. How weird. Yeah, you have to laugh at yourself too, because yeah. I that uh, that's why I needed humor in the movie. Yes. It's like is is like there's like when you share these things, even though they're incredibly real, that you're experiencing these feelings. When you start saying them out loud to your friends, that obviously have a sense of humor, um, or a dark sense of humor, that <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> uh, <laughs> they they become comical, and you're able to like laugh about it, and you're able to laugh about your misery. You know what I mean? And oh, it's totally. really in a really healthy way, you know? Yeah. And when it was over, I was like, cool, I'm not alone in feeling these dark thoughts or having, you know, anxiety about things. So in a way, I think it's a film that can help people, especially now, because I think a lot of people are feeling a general anxiety, but, um, and you know, just talk a little bit about the casting here, because obviously you've worked with Caitlin Scheel quite a bit. Um, and she's just phenomenal in this film i mean the whole cast is and i'm wondering if um what was the casting process like for you did you envision you know someone like caitlin to play the lead role right off the bat yes i mean i envisioned caitlin in everything that i (laughs) (laughs) sure i can see why yeah i love i i mean i i mean in addition to the fact that she's an incredibly wonderful friend um I think she's incredibly wonderfully talented, you know, and and uh, and is so easy to direct. And we have such a shorthand. And so when I was thinking about this, she's like, she's immediately the first person I called. And then Jane Adams, who is also my dear friend, I was just like, and she actually, she is the first person because I sometimes have insomnia, and she does too. Sure. We we have these moments where it's like the only person awake at two in the morning is her. And she, she, she basically <laughs> sends me uh, the, the you up text, like, <laughs> like nice. not hit me yeah. up for like a booty call, but like, like <laughs> you up. And it's like, yeah, let's like talk about like some anxiety shit, you know? And then sure. laugh hysterically. Like we'll talk about like what's driving us crazy and then like laugh hysterically about it. So of course Jane. And then, um, and then all the other people that, that you know, with the cast is, is like a lot of, like most of the cast is, are people that I had worked with before, mm-hmm. um, either as an actor or as a director. And and then including James Benning, Adam Wingard, who I've worked with as an actor and, um, or acted for them. And uh, some, of J- some James Benning's fan- fans are gonna be like, what movie? Cause he only makes like at least, you know, RR is about trains and there's clouds and uh but he wrote a movie for me James Benning wrote a movie for me nice. um but uh and and then uh with Michelle Rodriguez and Josh Lucas I didn't really know them so they're sort of the wild cards in there yeah they um, do a great job you they're know. amazing yeah. they're amazing yeah uh and they were so cool and they they just came and they were I always the the I'm all I'm always big on like people being respectful to the crew and and people in general, of you know, um, <laughs> so they were wonderful to the crew and they just showed up like professionals and were like, not only like did their job, but like knew how to play, you know, like we're there to play and we're there to have fun and, or not not have fun, but do their jobs, but also we're ready to play. And so wonderful at it. 
and Olivia Taylor Dudley, who's a dear friend of mine, I hadn't worked with her before, but I've known her for years and she was so incredibly awesome too. Um, so so it, it's, a, it's an interesting, the cast really feels like, I mean, as if the movie weren't meta enough. It feels like every single sort of piece of me in my professional life, in a way. Yeah, well, it, it looks like you you have a nice tight-knit family with, with everybody involved in this and it, it comes across that way. And obviously I'm, I'm just a huge fan of everything you've done, including uh, the girlfriend experience. So I'm curious what, what's next for you? How, how do you navigate through certainly what's going on with, with the pandemic? Are you just pretty much in writing mode and, and staying that way right now? I am in writing. I am in writing mode. It's very hard when you're, or at least with my brain, because I don't, write for other people you mm-hmm. know like i write stuff that i'm going to make myself and i have the luxury of doing like i i or so far in my career have had the luxury of like i can write for myself and and, and it keeps moving that way um and in addition to that i get to go and act on everyone else's stuff uh but i i don't i don't know <laughs> not, not yeah. in a not in a fear-based way like actually in a really great exciting way there's several things that are in the works movie tv um you know um uh something that i'm i don't know if i should actually actually say something i'm i'm sort of like thinking about like in combination with harmony corinne in like mm. uh, you know there's a lot of there's a lot of things that are that are maybe going. That's mm-hmm. why I'm always like hesitant to say that. I I can't believe I just said that out loud because I usually don't share that shit. But like, but the, and then there's also what's actually gonna go. Yeah. You know, like my brain when I'm writing, it's really hard to to focus if you don't know if it's gonna go. It sort of feels like a fruitless yeah. endeavor. You know. That's why it's been hard to be creative, I think, during this time, because it's, it's been hard to focus when we're inundated with what's going on in the real world. And I think our natural inclination is to kind of shut down a bit and, you know, just try to absorb every all the energy around us right now. But it's it's a complicated time, but I'm, I'm, sh- I'm sure you're going to come out of it swimmingly. And I'm so glad that Neon backed this incredible film. I, Me too. <laughs> I'm really happy that it's going to come out. I'm telling everybody I know to see it. And I, I, I just can't wait for more from you because I've been a huge fan since the beginning, really. Thank so you so Thank much. you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Of course. Take right, care. Just, okay. You too. Be safe. Take care. Bye-bye. You too. All right. Bye-bye. Under the alcohol with the steamboats Ancient goblins and wild loads Come at the grand light making a sound The smell of death is all around And at night when the cold wind blows No one cares, nobody knows I don't want to be buried My guest today wrote and directed a phenomenal film that I would describe as Badlands, as done by Cassavetes, and that's called Sun Don't Shine. She's also created one of the very best shows on television called The Girlfriend Experience with another collaborator that I revere by the name of Lodge Kerrigan, and she's directed episodes of the best show on TV right now, Atlanta. 
Now she stars as Rachel in a new reimagining of the Stephen King classic Pet Cemetery. It is a tremendous honor to have on the show the remarkable Amy Simons. Hi, Amy. What an intro. <laughs> Thank you. I'm very flattered. Absolutely. Um, There's so much to talk about. Um, and of course, we're going to mainly focus on uh, the latest creation that um you know you're, you've been lucky to be a part of uh i just got out of it and i was like oh interesting <laughs> a very interesting take on a uh on a classic book that just happens to be one of my favorites too so what is your earliest experience with um with stephen king and and the horror genre in particular i mean it's what you know i grew up in the 80s so i i feel like anyone that grew up in the 80s like whether or not you even read Stephen King, he was just ubiquitous. You know, he was just, you just knew who he was mm-hmm. and you knew what he meant and what he wrote. And, but I, um, I was really drawn to horror when I was younger and I like horror films and horror novels. And, and, uh, we, my sister and I, my dad, my parents were divorced, but my dad would allow me and my sister to pick whatever horror films we wanted when we go to his, his house on the weekend, you know, not, I don't think much to my mom's dismay. Um, but, but we watched, I think we just watched every, I think we watched every single film that was in the horror section at the, at the video store or the video rental place, um, for anywhere from like 1985 to 1995, but just in the 10 years. <laughs> um, and so, and then, and then I, when I was younger, I also was, I really loved reading books. And my parents really encouraged me to read books. So I went, but I liked the darker stuff. So I liked R.L. Stein, then Christopher Pike. And then I jumped to Stephen King, uh, to, to Cujo first, uh, when I was like eight. And then I, uh, read Christine and then I read Pet Cemetery, And then I, and then I read it. Uh, I just, yeah, I just kept going. And I, you know, when you're a kid, especially with, you know, his, his books are so adult. And so when you're a kid, you just feel like, Oh, like I'm not supposed to be reading it, which makes it all the more, yeah, you know, all it's the more enticing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and that's 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 very similar to how I grew up with. I, I was very lucky to have a, a very um, liberal parent that's like, oh, you just want to experience uh, whatever you want with film. Here you go, go for it. And yeah, you know, ha- having a, a video store that was like, oh yeah, you, you want to rent some R-rated movies? That's okay. <laughs> so it's yeah. like I got to see Nightmare on Elm Street and you know Evil Dead 2 at at a very young age that got me like really excited about films and filmmaking not just like because they scared me but because something like Evil Dead 2 it's like I never seen a camera move like that before you know and that's yeah. what really excited me about the horror genres is not it gave me all sorts of visceral thrills um so so what excited you when you first read you know that this this new screenplay for you know, a remake of a beloved Stephen King novel that you grew up, at, you know, loving as a kid. I mean, that was, I, I loved it. I mean, the thing that I found disturbing as a kid was, you know, the the adult conversations. Because for 50% of the book, it's, it's, it's Lewis Creed and talking about being a husband and sort of the, the ins and outs of being a husband and a father, you know. And, and, and it's a very matter of fact. And so I, I remember being really disturbed by the way that Lewis Creed felt about his family (laughs) as a kid, you know? And so, but I also really liked, and I revisited it and then I read the script, but I revisited the book 
and now as an adult, I I think it's one of the most one of one of the best uh, and acutely written books that about grief mm-hmm. and loss and and ideas of letting go and what does that mean and can you really ever truly let go, you know, and and the path coming up and and haunting you and and uh, specifically with Rachel Rachel's character of like you know should this losing somebody and the trauma of taking care of somebody that was that's ill um never quite leaves you you know it it haunts you forever and so that was what I was I was excited about and I was also a really big fan of well I obviously a big fan of John Lithgow and and Jason Clark but I was also a big fan of uh of of Dennis and Kevin's first film Starry Eyes so I was excited that they I wanted to see what they were what what their take was because I love the tone of Starry Eyes so I, I I like I was excited to see what they were going to do with it. Yeah, and man, you mentioned grief and loss, and I, I think watching it, you know, watching this version as an adult, um, I, I mean, I personally dealt with a lot of illness and the loss of my father, and so like w- watching certain scenes in this where you're, you know, um, basically flashing back to taking care of your of your sister, of your very very ill sister. Zelda, I was like, I, I, I was beyond moved at certain instances watching um, your performance here, and I just ima- I just can't imagine how do you get into the mindset of of having to you know go there essentially for this character. I mean, I I too had to take care of my dad, and I and I he died. Um, oh, I, I guess God like seven years ago, and that, that's what's so weird is every time I say the number out loud, I'm like I can't believe it's like still so present. Yeah. You know, the, 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 the pain, but also just the, his, the, the idea that he's gone is, is still a concept that I can't really wrap my head around, you know, and it's been seven years. And so, so any of that, like all of that stuff, it's just all of that pain. <laughs> I, I'm laughing. I laugh at pain. I, yeah, I, no, I'm I sorry. Do, I do too. You kind of have to. Cause so what are you going to do? Right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> um, and you and but but I carry that around with me all the time. It's always it's always there. You never, you know, when the interesting thing in in discussing this, you know, in this movie with the guys too is like, I remember when I was going through it, I was I used to be like, okay, I'm next weekend, I'm gonna like just cry all weekend, and I'm gonna grieve, and I'll have a nervous breakdown, and then I'll get over it, and I'll be okay. And you, it doesn't work that way. It does not work that way. You could like, you know, you, you just, it never goes away. That pain never goes away. It just, it's just that you just realize you have to keep living, you know? So there is no really getting over it. There's never a moment where you're going to get over it. You just have to keep going, you know? So, so for me in exploring it, you know, there was, there's that, there's that, that, that I carry around with me, but there's also this really great passage in, the, the novel that uh, the, in Stephen King's novel uh, Pet Cemetery, uh, where he where Rachel is telling Lewis for the first time what it was like growing up with Zelda and and the guilt that she that she felt uh, when watching her sister be sick and then also when Zelda died and it's such a great passage to go back to because it's so manic and and it and it really you know grieving is is messy and it. Yeah. It's not just you're not just crying. You're you're angry and you're you're you laugh maniacally. You, you know, there's just it's just the full range of emotions. And I, I felt like that passage in particular really helped me in in making sure that we were exploring all the all the corners of what 
Rachel was going through in the in her not just grieving her sister but also with her child. Yeah, and and you seem well, I don't know if comfortable is the right word, but you seem at, at least um, you're able to access that. Uh, sort of the messiness of the emotional inconsistencies, like even in something like Sun Don't Shine or, you know, some of the characters on the girlfriend experience with it just being like, yeah, I don't know how I'm going to process all these different things going on at, at, the, at the same time. It's like sometimes I'm going to cry, sometimes I'm going to scream, sometimes I'm just going to, you know, have a quiet moment to myself. And I, I think that, you know, your performance here actually captures all the the wide range of different responses to trauma and, and grief very effectively. And I think, oh, one, thank you. yeah, I think one of the best moments of the film involves your reaction to the return of your daughter. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, that's a that's a pretty remarkable scene in every way. How do you how do you prepare and how does your cast sort of get into this, you know, build into this family unit and make that moment work so effectively i mean you know i was i was lucky to have really great actors surrounding me i mean even jate as young as she is is just she's she's just so consistent and she consistently brings it and can transition so easily into creepy ellie (laughs) and uh but but also jason is just he's he's such an intense actor and he's so you know it's playful, but it's intense. And we, when he's, we, we really worked those scenes a lot that, that, that scene where I see Ellie for the first time, but even in the scene afterwards where, where he's explaining to me this place in the woods was really difficult because, you know, you could, it could be like a laugh out loud scene, but you, we really wanted it to be grounded. And I really, and we both, you know, my reaction to it of catching up, to all the things that Lewis has done. Like he, he knows that there's a place in the woods and then he goes and he buries the cat. He sees the cat coming back to life. And then he, then he goes and makes a decision to bury Ellie, but I wasn't there for any of that. So I'm trying to understand why Ellie's standing in my, my, um, in our kitchen, you know, our, that my, why my child that I buried <laughs> that we put into the ground, you know, that I saw like get hit. And it, it like, I, I think about that. And I, I've thought about this before too, is, is like if suddenly my dad walks through the door, my reaction would would be of co- of course. I mean that's the the mixed reaction that I give when I first see her. Of course I'm excited to see my dad, but I'd also be really fucking terrified. <laughs> you know what I mean? Of course, like yeah. why? Because I you know because you have these dreams when 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 you lose somebody and they're there, and sometimes like that real that there's always that moment where you realize that they're not really there, and it's 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 a mix. I don't know if you have these dreams, but whenever my, my dad pops in my dreams, I'm like going along with it. And then suddenly I inevitably in the dream suddenly go, wait a minute. Yeah. I took oh. care of you. Why are you driving? Hold on. This is bullshit. <laughs> and then it's like, and you, you know, you have this and then, then it's like sadness all over again. But there's also like, there's also a kind of a disturbing quality to it. You know yeah. what I mean? Cause it's so real. And so that was, you know, and, and it, it's defying, you know, uh, it's defying logic and defying, you know, science. And, and there's so many things that it's, it's just like having an aneurysm. So it's an explosion of, of all those emotions and, and trying to get that right. You know, you, you can't overthink it. You just kind of have to do it. You know, you kind of yeah, have instinctually, to. Instinctually, sure. Yeah. 
Yeah, and it's, gosh, dreams are like little horror movies. They can be. I mean, sometimes they, like, veer into all these different directions, and I think that's why, like, a, a director like David Lynch, um, you know, just makes such a monumental impact on so many people because, like, he's able to capture all of those really distinctive qualities of being in this dream state and having it be horrific but also having it be darkly funny and having it you know be uh just really trippy and doesn't make sense all the time uh, exactly and, yeah and i just I, I love that experience and you know even sometimes when i do have that with revisiting my dad in a dream um sometimes i wake up and i go man and it's probably because I've seen too many movies. I go, what if it was a government conspiracy and my dad isn't actually dead and he could come back one day? <laughs> totally. No, well, that's the, that's the other thing that I talk about when, when talking about Pet cemetery too. You have this, you know, when when you when when you lose somebody or, or even in a breakup or whatever, the people, a lot of people would say you've got to let go. And it, and it sounds so simple, right? You've got to let go. Yeah. Intellectually, intellectually, you 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 are trying to let go, and intellectually speaking, you know that your dad has passed away. I have the same experience. Like when I'm in, when I'm back in Florida, as I drive past his office, and intellectually, I'm thinking, okay, I know he's not in there. I know he passed away, but my heart, which is like your 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 emotions and your heart, are 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 like a cunning beast. They're like, no, but what if you just walk in there? And maybe he's just been working this whole time. <laughs> and my brain's like, no, that is that is crazy. You cannot walk into his place of work seven years later and say, where's Michael Simon? Like, that's, that's an insane person. And then the emotions are like, yeah, but mm. maybe we just do it. <laughs> you know, but, but, but it's, it's crazy because, like, the disconnect between the in, your in, intellectually knowing that something happened and then that feeling that like somebody's just like just around the corner and they're just going to come walk in the room any day now, you know, that disbelief of, of losing somebody is just like, it's crazy. I don't, I don't think it ever goes away. No, it doesn't. And I think it's, I think that's why there's a huge resurgence in horror right now is like anytime you just open up a newspaper, there's real life horror happening in so many ways. And you kind of go, I, I need to, not only do I need to escape, but I also need to confront these feelings that I'm having, which is, you know, surrounds this like fear of death, essentially. And that's, you know, that's a part of Stephen King's themes in general. Uh, but I mean, is there something that is making this, you know, current culture be fascinated with Stephen King, whether if it's something like Stranger Things or the new It? Because I think it's more it's it's more than just about nostalgia. What do you think it is about horror that it you know continues to prevail as a as a genre from from your perspective? Well, yeah, there's there's catharsis in general when you watch a horror movie and it's yeah. interactive. You you it's it's amazing that that film can still do that in that form. You know that you can be, still be scared of something that you know is fictional and you know is is fake, but you sit yourself down and you you're you're you're, and you know that you're sitting down to be scared, but you can still be scared in it. And it's kind of amazing that 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 can still occur. And I think, you know, as like in theaters, you know, I think people are looking for reasons to go out to a theater because it's expensive, you know. And in the more and more access that people have in streaming services, it's like they they want even more of a reason to 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 go and shell out money. Um, to see a movie and that's the thing about genre movies is that it's a, it is so much fun 
to be in an audience and you and you not just screaming and scaring yourself, but like when people scream at the screen, other people laugh because it's funny. You know, it's funny that like somebody has reacted that way. And so you're having this communal experience with other people and it, it feels like you all went on like a roller coaster together. You know, and I think that's sort of what people are searching for right now um like with film and that's why there's a resurgence of of horror and and stuff you know because it's just so cathartic yeah no absolutely wow it makes sense right now that my my cat is meowing and and wants to partake in this conversation <laughs> I, I figured you were going to do that because we're talking about pet cemetery oh, <laughs> i just had this feeling because you know usually she's sleeping during the day and you know sleeping on the bed but now she's like no i actually know what you're talking about so um can i jump in she's got something to say and she's not really happy that cats keep getting demonized i assume <laughs> <laughs> yeah especially in, sleep, in sleepwalkers where i was like oh man oh my god sleepwalkers yeah yeah that movie terrified me too yeah, and here's the funny yeah. part. Uh, I saw that movie in a theater with my mom. and Ooh, weird. <laughs> a little bit. Yeah, really yeah, uncomfortable. Yeah, that's awkward. <laughs> yeah. So, You're like, is this what you were supposed to be doing? Yeah. Um. <laughs> yeah. Uh, nah. Um, so anyway, um, are there... <sighs> I mean, I, obviously, I want. I'm I'm dying for a, a new film from you because I'm such a huge fan of Sun Don't Shine. Are there any horror movies that maybe you've got in the works of, uh, you know, from from yourself as a writer director? Because personally, I could see you taking on Cujo and kind of making it your own. Yeah, I mean, I I I actually just finished a horror film, so I'm waiting to see if that goes. Nice. And then I also, and yeah, I was actually thinking about. I mean, Cujo I could do, but I, I, I've started, like, now that I've been going around and talking about Stephen King so much, I I started to realize that I really want to see Stand By Me oh. with, with, with like, teenage girls. Oh, wow. And, yeah. Right? Wouldn't that be awesome? Because totally. that's such an awful age. Like, the horror of that age in general. Yeah. I still have nightmares about middle school. Like, I just, like, it, it's just the worst time because it's so confusing because you're, you know, in, in, in girls and boys too. And that's what, what's so like striking about that book. And then the, also the movie is that, you know, the kids grow up at different periods of time and especially around that, that age where it's the turning point between child and then man or child and woman or, or adulthood, you know, it's so confusing. Cause I remember still playing with Barbies at, and then, and like one of my friends, you know, was making out with boys. And it was like so confusing. You know what I mean? Sure, it was so yeah. like I was I was making Barbie and Ken make out, and she was making out with like a boy. You know, it was it was very confusing. And so I just feel like, and then and then obviously the horror of finding a dead body with your friends. And I just I I know that how nostalgic like the guys I know are for that movie, and my dad was included in that because it's yeah. made in the fifties. And I just feel like it'd be really cool to to get one like for girls to have a friendship movie uh, about that weird period of time. Yeah, and you could set it in the '80s. I think that that might be an exactly. Yeah, like yeah, like change. I think that would be really effective for sure. Yeah, because then I, then I would have the connection of it being nostalgic because that was part of the reason that my dad was nostalgic for it because it was in the '50s. You know, that's a great idea. <laughs> I would love to see yeah. that, and I would love to see. Obviously, I'm assuming more television directing is in the works for you as well. So, yeah, I great. have a deal at FX, so I'm plugging away at some new things and. Um, yeah, I'm in my I'm in a massive writing phase right now, so I'm most of my day is just me at a computer. 
<laughs> alone. <laughs> oh, well, that, that's not a bad thing. That's, you know, uh, us us introverts love sitting in front of computers, whether if it's podcasting or writing. Um, yeah. You know, so it, it, it totally makes sense. Yeah. You know, um, I, I'm especially grateful for all your work as an actress and as a writer and director. I, I, huge fan, as I said. Um, so I really greatly appreciate you taking the time to come on the show to talk um, horror and pet cemetery and movies with me. It's congratulations on being so great in the film, and I wish you nothing but continued success in all that you do. Okay, well, thank you very much. And thank you to Amy Simons for talking with me on a couple of occasions, and please seek out She Dies Tomorrow on VOD. And uh, thank you all for listening. Take care. Bye.